everybody. Hey, everybody. We're back. I just got back from Burning Man. I am exhausted. And it's 100 degrees here. And Molly and I lost power. We have power like, this morning. It's officially the toughest week in the Bay Area because everybody has many, many people have come back from Burning Man. It's always our hottest time of the year. And that is no joke around here because nobody has air conditioning and our power doesn't stay on. And it's a short week. So just look for kind of a lot of chaotic energy. It's just going to be like a chaotic, good kind of week. But here's the thing. When we're exhausted, we're still great. So yeah. uh, out of the fire, frying pan and into the fire for Jake and Molly, uh, we're going to talk about DTC companies. I'm joining the board of a legendary direct consumer brand that you don't know about. That's not part of the Silicon Valley diaspora. And I'm going to reveal it today on the show. What else do we yeah, have? This is a very exciting one. And then we're just going to go full spreadsheet because we do not need to make it easy on ourselves just because we're exhausted and potentially hungover. We're talking about Joker potentially raising uh, $50 million and a massive breakdown on a dirty little VC secret known as liquidation preferences. Super interesting topic that I have been trying to understand since I started. So yay. We are going to do the work and open a Google sheet and show you the impact of liquidation preferences. This is something that's very hard to understand. Most people just defer to their lawyers. And then eh, when their payday comes, their check is a little bit shorter than they anticipated. Mm -hmm. And so we're going to break it down and give you every possible scenario. If you're a founder, if you're an angel investor, this is uh, must understand, not must watch, must understand TV. Super tactical. So great. And as long as we're going tactical and <laughs> spreadsheet and real-time math and percentage calculations, you know we had to follow up with a little bit of gossip, a oh witness in the Elizabeth Holmes trial going rogue. Oh boy, the tea has been spilled. Uh, Columbo makes an appearance on this episode. We're going to break it all down for you. It's going to be a great, fun, exhausted episode. We got this. Stick with us. This Week in Startups is brought to you by Notion is one place for notes, docs, projects, and everyday work that goes way beyond a wiki. Get started for free at notion.com slash twist. Squarespace. Turn your idea into a new website. Go to squarespace.com slash twist for a free trial. When you're ready to launch, use offer code twist to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. And lemon.io. Need to speed up your product development without draining your budget? Hire vetted engineers from Europe at lemon.io. Go to lemon.io slash twist to get 15% off for the first four weeks. Hey, everybody. Hey, everybody. We're back. Molly and I are both on 50% power settings. We've both gotten our asses kicked in the last 72 hours. But Molly and Jake Al at 50% is double any other tandem in the league. Still so 100% bring it. awesome. Yeah, bring it. Yeah, uh, we're, we're going to get through this. Not okay Tuesday. <laughs> and it's going to be well, an amazing not. show. It's going to be amazing. <laughs> All right. So just to recap here, Molly yeah. has a fan. She looks like she's living in like the 17th century in England, paying <laughs> herself in August. I'm wearing, my resort. I'm wearing my Mexico resort wear because it's You've got full resort a thousand wear. degrees in, in the house. Yeah. But looking good. Looking good, Thank dare you. I say. The lashes. I got some lashes on, on fleek. Is that what the lashes. kids say, Rachel, on fleek? Am I correct in my they, usage they of do fleek? Not, they do not say no? that anymore. Okay. They said that, what, three years ago? It, it was <laughs> in at one point. <laughs> what would I, producer Rachel, like, what would I... It was uh, in at one point. 
what would I say if they were tight, if they were locked in, if they were dope, you know, like this, the words I would use as a Gen Xer, what would be a good word for me to use to describe Molly's absolutely exquisite lashes? I think on point is, I still use, I think on really? point, on point? I, I kind of like on point. I don't on know. Point Nick can chime there. in. That's true. That's like, amazing. Is out, but on point kind of stays. It's right. the sillier the word, the shorter the shelf life. I like it's the moment, like the moment, you know, oh, oh, those there lashes are the moment. Yeah. It's a vibe. I like, yeah. I like it's giving, it's giving Serving. whatever it is. Oh, that's good. Yeah. It's giving. I, I, it's on giving, point to something I used in the 90s, 70s. It's glamour. great. You live long enough to see yourself as a hero become the villain and your your buzzwords come back in style. So I'm going to say on point. Very so good. here's what happens, dear audience. I'm like, mm. you know what? I treated myself mm. because I'm on Zoom and we're on video every day and I just don't want to have mess around with my makeup and get like a rash from not taking it off right or whatever. I'm just, I got myself lashes. And then Jason somewhat unexpectedly was like, oh, did you get Lashify? I know all about that. And yes. I was like, I'm sorry, what happened just now? So... <laughs> It turns I out I was really girling it up and he took it up a notch. <laughs> I did. I, what happened was every month or every two weeks or so, a Lashify box would come to our house. Beautiful package. And then we would be getting ready to go out. Oh, my wife looks great, but I couldn't put my finger on it. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. like when That's somebody looks great. Lashes. Yep. And you're like, I, I can't exactly. My wife is stunning. And she Accurate. like she stops the party. Uh, you've met her. Uh, when she walks in and then it's just like a whole nother level. And so I'm like, honey, uh, you look really good. Yeah. Thank you. You know, no, no, you know, blinks her eyes. That's it. She's like, I just and knew. So that exactly. And then I walk in, you know, to the bathroom at one point and she's putting, she's got like a, a little, um, pair of like very funky looking tweezers with a curve in it. And she's, she's get out. <laughs> oh, what's going on? She's putting lashes on. And I said, Oh, that's really just that lashify thing. I saw the boxes. She says, yeah, you know, this friend, we met at this party. She's friends with this person. Sahara is doing this company, Lashify. I said, oh, Sahara, she's great. I remember meeting her. So long story short, Sahara has a love of bulldogs, which I have. Mm-hmm. And she's a tremendous entrepreneur, it turns out. So I start talking to her about her business and she starts relaying to me what's going on. And this woman has created a business that would put to shame 99, 999 out of 1,000 businesses in Silicon Valley. Off of her back, bootstrap to a level of revenue that is beyond all but our most elite portfolio companies in our, in our portfolio here at launch. And I said, that's great. And she said, Hey, I got questions about this, 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 and this. And she's running a, a beauty direct consumer brand, but without, you know, um, you know, maybe some of the techniques that we see in our companies mm-hmm. just popping up her Insta and you can pull up her Insta and see. But she will do a three-hour live stream with thousands of people while she puts on her Lashify lashes. And she's got these all patented and, you know, incredible stuff. So I, I literally am announcing uh, today I joined the board of Lashify. And I, wow. I do not do direct-to-consumer. I uh, do not do beauty products. But I was like, here's an entrepreneur I can learn something from because she is a literal product genius, a literal marketing savant. And um, look at that. Yes. And uh, she's truly, I mean, that, that million followers is not done with, you know, any kind of silly games. This is yeah. like done through sheer force of will. And she just innately knows how to do packaging. So when I go to LA, a lot of times I'll stay with Sahara and we will sit there uh, and, uh, you know, have a glass of uh, champagne or wine and eat a nice hamburger or something and sit with our bulldogs and talk about Lashify and, you know, what she's doing. And it's, it's very extraordinary to me. So I feel very lucky. We we haven't invested in the company yet. We might, 
they don't need it. They're like wildly profitable. Mm-hmm. Um, but it just, I thought it'd be an interesting adventure to go on. And uh, this will be by far and away the most successful, one of the most successful, top 10 successful founders I've ever worked with already. And certainly the most successful female founder I've ever worked with, you know, by a factor. Uh, right. And it's just this great. Is incredible. I'm like deep in the website about to order it. So uh, you've heard me say many times, Molly. Many. I don't do DTC. We, mm-hmm. we, we have kind of, we have done it. I've had some amazing DTC outcomes, uh, eight sleep amongst them. Uh, extraordinary with Smarty Pants, the vitamin company, which I did personally because it, you know it was outside the mandate of venture, but my friends uh, created that company, uh, Courtney and Gordon Gould. And uh, that was a wonderful outcome, uh, extraordinary, uh, 50X or 100X or something. But it's just very rare for DTC to work. And there's really two vectors we've talked about here on the show. You have to have a transcendent product, like truly mm-hmm. innovative, very distinct product. You put, look at Eight Sleep, obviously it's that. Nobody ever made a smart mattress before. Uh, you did have mattress companies, Casper, et cetera, fantastic right. mattresses, fantastic delivery, but it wasn't smart. It didn't have this technology in it from, you know, these Stanford wonks. Um, and then, of course, uh, if you ever know the Smarty Pants, they were the first gummy vitamin for kids. This changed everything. You, you know, oh, it was like Flintstones. Yeah. yeah. Flintstones were like chalk, you know, and yeah. kids were like, ah, maybe. I mean, we came out with these gummy vitamins. I'd say, who wants vitamins? And three daughters would come running, line up. Oh, and then they started coming to me. We didn't have our vitamins today. And I'm like, well, this is a game changer. You know, your kids asking you for their vitamins as opposed to me lining them up and saying, you can't have dessert or whatever, blah, blah, blah. You know, having to be stern with them about taking their vitamins. You guys are serious about your vitamins well, at your house. Anyway, uh, but seriously, that kicked off. Now even adults don't won't take vitamins if they're not gummy. I mean, like. Exactly. Yeah. And so here we Game are. Changer. Just two perfect examples. Lashify is like even, I think, more transcendent in that to get these lashes would be a hundred or $200 beauty experience to do them at home could be a $25 or less experience. Yeah. And they, when it comes to aesthetics, uh, they are a game changer. Like they really do make, uh, the person wearing them. And by the way, they're, they're used by both genders. Um, mm-hmm. and they do make you incredibly beautiful, make one incredibly beautiful and make you uncomfortable here on the call, call you beautiful, Molly. Uh, I don't want the HR department jumping in I here. Mean, I pay but you for look it. great. I'm going to say great. <laughs> I better look great. I want to. That's the whole okay. point. You know, Thank if you. I wasn't your They're boss, working. I would say you look beautiful, but I'll just say you look great. Thanks. Great on Thanks, camera, boss. great aesthetics. Thanks, I'll try to keep it professional. It's, here. you know, I'm, I'm doing this because I know you're committed to a quality product here. Yes. Yes. You can't I mean, have look, a janky I, I lost YouTube 20, 30 pounds. I'm piglet sure. eyes. I mean, they just work. I mean, listen, our, I mean, they I just, just work. I have naturally stunning blue eyes. I mean, I just, you know, but I'll put Lashify on. I'll do that. Now that I'm on the board, I might do a Lashify day. We'll Let's see if anybody notices. Lashify day. We'll see. Um, it's lovely. And I'm going to try them. And actually, even notice, Minaz is like, order. It's really easy. The, you know, the other thing with, uh, I look for a DTC companies is in a really unique ability to market. And so if you look at Lashify, mm-hmm. you look at Smarty Patch, you look at Eight Sleep, you all have heard of these brands. You all have seen their marketing. Whether you remember it or not, if you pull up, if you Google any three of those, and you start looking at them. Aesthetically, you're going to start feeling something. Emotionally, you're going to start feeling these are brands that have really connected with people. Wobby Parker, $1.4 billion market cap right now, Dollar Shave Club, $1 billion exit, all birds, $583 million market cap now. So these are incredible outcomes. Those are the best, Molly, of the D2C outcomes uh, yeah. in that yeah. range. So it's a little different than you know investing in Uber and Airbnb, obviously, but still great businesses if you can right. get it but early. But there's still only two of those too. So Yeah, but you could add a zero. You know, you start adding zeros right. to the valuations. Gotcha, gotcha. So 
The scale of outcomes, of course, is different for a D2C company, but you can have an incredible return if you get in at the right price. So D2C companies need to be valued not at $10 million in the C round, but you know, two to five, mm-hmm. 20 to 50%, because their outcome is going to be 20 to 50%, you know, uh, of like some of the bigger outcomes, right? You, you can get right. to a billion or two, but you're not going to get to 10x that. You're not going to get to 20 billion. So you just have to be realistic. Entry price matters, yada, yada. If you are a startup, you need to sign up for Notion, N-O-T-I-O-N. Notion is the greatest piece of software I've used in the last couple of years. I love Notion. And I just want you to go to notion.com slash twist and sign up for free right now. Then you go to slash twist, you get it for free. At my companies, Inside and Launch, we run the entire companies on Notion. And I run my personal household on Notion. I run everything on Notion, including my own personal notes. Notion is the most amazing tool. It's like a wiki. It's like a database. It's like a Google sheet. It's got tables. The apps work seamlessly across every device you have. Whether you're on your phone, your iPad, your laptop, your desktop, big screens on desktop, it is perfect. And they have thought about every single function in your life, personal, private, public, business, accounting, sales, CRM, every single function in an organization or your personal life. And they've made gorgeous, stunning templates. If you were to just go to Notion's template library and look at theirs, then you go Notion library, you just type in Notion templates, and then whatever keyword, OKRs, to-do list, task list, whatever you're trying to do, employee reviews. Literally, it's built into Notion. Notion.com slash twist to start for free. Again, Notion, N-O-T-I-O-N, Notion, what a great name, dot com slash twist to take the first step toward your organization dominating and being productive. And the knowledge base has arrived and it's gorgeous and it's beautiful and it's notion, notion.com slash twist. We are suffering here. Uh, we had, you had power go out for seven hours. I understand. Yeah. You're on an hour and a half sleep. You slept on a, you slept by, on a pool chair. I slept on the correct. deck. Yeah. I slept on the outside. Jesus deck. Christ. Sorry. Not all night, just minutes. like some of the night. No, I'm checking into a hotel after this for the next two nights because. Whew. Well, I mean, with I have an event heat. in the city tomorrow night, and I was like, oh, you know right. what? It's only 70 degrees there or whatever. I mean, I think it's 90 in the city, which is going to feel like 70. But like, yeah. we don't, this is an adaptation, a climate adaptation story. Like the Bay Area doesn't have air conditioning writ right. large. Like most people don't. And Explain that, the history of that. It's, I, I think, think it's about important to. for people to understand. Yeah. We Right. Like every, you know, it's funny, like Savino this morning, our president, Mike Savino, we were on a meeting super early and he was like, oh, but then the air conditioning came back on. I'm like, honey, No. <laughs> It's still 90 degrees inside my house because there is no, the Bay Area doesn't, we have natural air conditioning in the form of the Bay. The fog rolls in and it stays relatively cool here. It's actually kind of a weird, people consider it like a climate inequality thing. Because if you can afford to live in San Francisco or Oakland right on the water, you're not going to suffer the way that, you know, conquered and right. However, and this is very unusual. Yesterday it was over 100 in Oakland and today it's going to be 100 in Oakland and tomorrow it's going to cool down to like 95 and those are just and then when that happens the power goes out cuz PG&E is terrible and everybody in the entire bay area is just a gd mess cuz like no one sleeps I've been here for 6 7 years uh going on 10 now and uh when I first got here people were like yeah there's there's a week or two in September or late August that's insufferable yep but people generally go away for the week they go up to Napa they go to you know Tahoe whatever they'll, they'll find some relief somewhere Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, when you rent a place, like our office in the city that we don't use anymore, did not have air conditioning. And in right. fact, they don't even have vents in some of the buildings in San Francisco. For heat, they have little radiators uh, along right. the walls that you flip a switch on, but there's no central HVAC unit. So the building we're in that was built, I think in 2000 in the city in Soma, 
uh, and I bought the loft there. Uh, it's like 3,300 square feet. They're like, yeah, don't worry about it. We don't have AC. There's no AC on the roof. We're never going to have AC. We didn't, they didn't put ductwork in the building. So the buildings in San Francisco, quite literally, mm-hmm. do not have ductwork. If you want heat, you have an electric heater that's kind of been flushed into the wall, but it's no different than the $30 electric heater you buy on Amazon and turn on in your room. It's an electric yeah. radiation heater because the temperature here, I would say, is between 60 and 70 degrees, 300 days a year mm-hmm. in the city. and, and In Oakland, I'd say 60 to 80 you know, is our range yeah, for 325 yeah. days a year. Right. The, the, and there might be 10 days like this, but now it's turning into 30 days like this. We have a it 30 is. day and run. The, and then the, the temperatures during those 30 days, I mean, they're in the, in the far East Bay, which I sometimes, you know, like further out, like Dublin, Concord, they're talking about 120 degrees today. Like the um, temperatures yeah, that's when that your we're starting to your see. Your dog die. Like it's, right. this kills people and kills dogs, you know, and like pets are going to die. My like, two bulldogs were suffering last night. Luckily, one third of the house was air conditioned. I had to like reposition them in the house yeah. to the air conditioned area, uh, and they yeah. were panting. And I was, I did have like, I was up at two in the morning repositioning dogs. This is after three days on the playa, Burning Man, and you can hear yeah, it in so my let's, voice. Um, let's stop talking about heat in <laughs> your house and talk about heat in your tent or your whatever you would say. Well, but, okay, so you were on the let's playa. Be honest. I, let's acknowledge there's a lot you can't say about your time on the playa. I'm assuming. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to. Uh, there was a good Instagram about it. I mean, listen, I see he's dodging, it, bobbing and weaving. Uh, it's a lo- luckily, when you're on the playa, I'm wearing uh, ski goggles, essentially, yeah. and a bandana uh, or a mask. So, but when I take it off, people do recognize me. A lot of people say, hi, Molly. Uh, fans of yours said hi to me uh, and fans of This Week in Startups and All In, uh-huh. everything else. So I probably got recognized no less than 25 times in three days. <laughs> And I have my mask on. Even with all your stuff 80%, on. 80% of the time I the mask on. Sometimes okay. the, the sandstorms will come down. And, you know, you take it, you take a message, but just an amazing event as always, uh, as I tell people, if you're into art, if you're into music, if you're into community, it's absolutely, I believe, um, the spirit of America, uh, in terms of, if you look at the principles, I, I encourage people to go type in the Burning Man principles and just spend a little time thinking about if the world worked like that. Now, I'm not some hippy dippy guy. I'm a kid from Brooklyn who is totally cynical about all of this. I know. I'm like, what? But radical guys- acceptance of people mm-hmm. is part yeah. of it. Radical inclusion. Uh, and then the other principle that hits with me is this radical self-reliance. And so, mm-hmm. you know, I, I was lucky enough to have a trailer. Uh, and when you have an RV slash trailer, you know, which I would say 25% of people there do. And so what you'll do is you'll make a camp with other people. You might rent two trailers, which are not cheap. It might be, I don't know, a couple thousand dollars a week, $5,000 to rent an RV in this country. Um, and they, they probably charge you an extra thousand or 2000 if you take it to Burning Man, because there's a special cleaning right. that you have to do because the playa dust is nuts. Like, yeah. And when it kicks up, every aspect of your car is going to be covered. And so you have to clean the engine block. You got to clean the tranny. You got, you got to really do a deep cleaning on these things. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Long story short, uh, you know, you'll have enough, uh, gasoline, electricity, generators, et cetera, on your camp to have air conditioning, let's say in two trailers and then 10 tents or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was glamping for me. It was easier than my trip whitewater rafting in July that I went on. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I'm drinking coconut water. And fresh fruit. I, I stocked the fridge with like a ton of watermelon and fruit. So I, it was not that hard. But when you're out in the desert, you can hear my voice. You are getting, you're, you're breathing in lungs of dust. The one thing I'll say is super notable, and we can find it on the internet. I did retweet it. Um, and you can find videos of it right now. And we'll show it here. Uh, we'll throw it in post. Drones. They are now yeah. doing drone shows mm-hmm. uh, that include hundreds of drones in the middle of the desert. And they're sustained for hours. They'll do a drone show for an hour or two, Molly, now. 
What? Seriously? And it's better than the any fireworks. I've ever seen is like 30 minutes. They do them at yeah. the A's, you know, at the Coliseum now. Yeah. Yeah. So now they're doing the Coliseum and stuff like that. And they're replacing fireworks with them. And they're more interesting mm-hmm. or as interesting as fireworks right now, which is a very interesting uh, corollary. So now in Tahoe and in forest territory, Napa, et cetera, instead of doing fireworks on July 4th, we're now doing drone shows. Yeah. This is the just this is the techno cyberpunk future I wanted to live in. It I is. am here for it, Molly. Like all of this is such it all of this is climate adaptation in progress, like yes. in process. Yes. And it's technology figuring out how to like, you know what, fireworks don't just giant explosions yeah, in maybe mega not a good fire idea. country is probably a no, but is it just as cool? And those drone shows are freaking amazing. Yeah. Hopefully our producers have found like three of them right now on Instagram, but they were making the Burning Man. If you don't know the Burning Man, it looks like a pagan kind of statue of a man with his arms raised and they burn it at the end. And so they make it out of neon and then they did a fireworks show for 20 minutes. It was an incredible fire show, best I've ever seen. And then they burn the man with this giant, you know, explosions. But then before and after that, they had a drone version of the Burning Man walking across the playa, Molly. Stop so we're driving it. in an R car or an electric bicycles, listen to cool music. That's like cyberpunk music. Like I was playing the Blade Runner Esper edition on my art car. Yeah. And so I'm on an art car playing like the secret version of Blade Runner that never got produced. It's called the Esper edition if you want to look it up. And uh, I'm not feeling much pain. You know, me with my Vuv. <laughs> I'm you know, got a little Vuv Clicquot popping. I'm like a maniac. People are like, is that J. Cal? I'm like, yeah. They're like, oh, I saw the Vuv Clicquot bottle. It just happens to be what I like. Okay. Don't judge me. So I'm, I'm drinking Vuv Clicquot with a Risa. giant straw like a maniac. Uh-huh. Sipping a Vuv Clicquot bottle on the playa, dressed like a maniac, playing the Blade Runner Esper edition, and there's a Burning Man walking across the playa That's insane. made of drones. And then it pulls out a cowboy hat and puts a cowboy hat on. You're just like, whoa, this is awesome. Um, and it was great. I saw a bunch of friends. And, you know, it, it, like, I, like I tell everybody, it's, it's a great thing to do. Um, and the principles, I think, are super important. It, it, we talk about climate ad- adaptation here. You're subjecting yourself to the harshest climate in the world, I think. It's 110 degrees during the day with dust storms. Mm-hmm. You cannot breathe. When they dust storm, it whites out. I mean, it looks like Tatooine. It, it's no joke. Yeah. Like, you, you have to, if you don't have a mask with you and goggles, you need to get on the ground, cover yourself with whatever you have, or hold a towel over your mouth, or you will start having a coughing fit. And you might need to go to the hospital and get like asthma medication or an inhaler to get the, the stuff out of your lungs. And you might be hacking and sneezing black dust for a couple of days. Uh, and so Several it's very years harsh. ago, I interviewed the CTO of uh-huh. Burning Man of the, you know, actual company. And it was such a fascinating conversation. And I was like, so basically, you're when you think about what you're qualified to do, if you ever want to not do this job, you're basically qualified to be the CTO on mars like the way that she described you know the the sheer infrastructure challenge of doing and by the way she's amazing right like a six foot something like we're the same height like six foot tall amazon like big dreads just like super punk rock looking and she's like yeah i mean you know you're installing you know communications towers and like 100 mile an hour winds and the dust is blowing you off of the thing it's pretty nuts anyway so if if mars ever needs a cto she's the lady well and then at night it drops down to 40 um and Mm -hmm. so and you have to bring every ounce of liquid you're going to drink and every ounce of liquid that's going to come out, you're responsible for, you know, so y- you need to bring in everything and you got to take everything out. And there is no store. There is a hospital. If you need something, if there's an emergency, 
but you're basically on your own. If you run out of food, you, you got to go ask your neighbors. And so that's what that radical inclusion is about. Like, you know, if you are, if you have food or whatever, you're kind of obligated to, to, to give it to the next person if, if they need it. Uh, so it's, it's kind of beautiful. I highly mm-hmm. recommend people check it out. Uh, and Jeffrey, read the principles and, and start backwards from there. And if you do go, my only piece of advice is join a camp. Don't go solo dolo. Go online. I think the Burning Man website has all the camp information. And so you find people from your city. If you're in Arizona, if you're in Texas, you can find people in your city. You go meet with them beforehand and you plan out, you know, okay, I'm going to do breakfast on these days. You do lunch, you do dinner. I'll bring the water. You do the porta potties. I'll bring the medicine and, you know, make sure if we have a, you know, emergency supplies and, you know, medicine kits and everything. So, you know, it's just, it's, it's kind of beautiful in that way. Highly recommend everybody do it. Got a lot of news to get to. Listen, Squarespace is the platform where you can build or sell anything. You all know it. I've talked about it forever, a decade here on This Week in Startups in partnership with Squarespace. We love it here. We use it for all our websites, remotedemoday.com, et cetera. And there are so many great features in Squarespace that you need to know about and that founders love. Obviously, e-commerce has been huge for them. And you're like, well, Squarespace, I immediately think beautiful templates, perfect uh, responsiveness across any device, mobile, desktop. Yes, but they've added inventory management APIs and advanced analytics. They have incredible SEO right out of the box. So you're going to start ranking and selling. And now they have member areas. What's member areas? Well, you can generate revenue through exclusive members only content. You can take all of that great content that you can teach people, put it on your Squarespace site, and then sell it to people as a subscription or one off pieces of content. It's amazing. And if you build it for yourself, you don't have to give that 15 or 30% to other platforms, right? Let people come direct to you. Own that relationship. Don't get disintermediated. Head to squarespace.com slash twist for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use the offer code twist to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Squarespace.com slash twist. Squarespace.com slash twist for a free trial. Offer code twist for 10% off. Let's go right to the hard stuff. We were like, it's not okay Tuesday, so (laughs) we're going to go spreadsheet. We're going to go hard on spreadsheets and liquidation preferences. This was your idea, so we're going right in. Okay, Okay. here's the setup, though, to where how we get here. One, Joker. So we've talked a lot about these instant delivery platforms. When we had the GoPuff CEO on, we talked, I think, about how Joker, the instant delivery startup, had uh, basically pivoted to only focusing on the Latin America market, pulled out of the U.S. market. It's now in talks to raise between $35 million and $50 million, led by existing investors at a $1.3 billion valuation. This is according to a scoop from the information's Aaron Wu. Um, viewed a bunch of the fundraising documents. That would actually be not a down round for Joker. Like everybody's been very worried about these instant delivery startups. This would effectively be like a flat round, a one point. $3 billion valuation compared to its most recent, which was December, which was $1.2 billion. Yeah. Joker's raised $430 million so far, which includes debt, uh, as I mentioned, pulled out of the U.S. market after heavy losses. Even after leaving the U.S. markets, mm. it was still losing about $10 million a month Yeah, as recently as July. And then here's where the round gets kind of interesting and gets us into a little like bonus VC Sunday school, VC Tuesday school. Yeah. G squared and GGB capital are both existing investors and they're leading the round and okay. have a 1.4 times liquidation preference. Lick pref, got it. Meaning that investors are guaranteed a 40% return in the event that the company is acquired or liquidated. Yeah. So yeah, I can explain first, this. Uh, right. Like yeah. before we talk about timing and whether that's what they are now planning on, mm-hmm. 
let's talk about how this works. Because liquidation preferences yeah. is one of those things I've read 50 million blog posts about, and I just don't understand it. So first up, I think, even before we get to liquidation preference, why did they leave the US is also a very interesting question. I think what we're going to learn right now is, and this is, you know, kind of goes beyond just, um, goes just beyond startups and cap table math. Mm-hmm. The United States, because of our anti-immigration policy, is unable to provide affordable labor to certain startups. And so with Uber getting, you know, people driving Uber or doing DoorDash are now regularly reporting $30, $40, $50 an hour compensation. We're talking four times, five times the minimum wage. We were sitting here but five years ago when we had a much more before Trump and Biden really closed the borders. Uh, both, you know, this is on both sides. This is not just a Republican thing. We have locked down the borders in a major way. We do not let people into this country anymore. And we have record low employment participation. 62% of people in the able body area are participating in the labor force. 1999, it was uh, upwards of 70%. So we've had 8%, 10% less people working in the workforce. Americans do not want to take minimum wage or slightly higher than minimum wage jobs. Things like Joker require entry-level employees. It cannot work in the United States, is my belief, unless you have the ability to pay somebody 10 to $15 an hour. Why? Mm -hmm. They can do one or two deliveries an hour. We all know that. Mm-hmm. You can only do one or two deliveries an hour and you're getting paid 40 bucks. That means you're paying either $40 for a delivery or 20 best case if they do two an hour. And they're not doing three an hour. This is like farcical that they can get to three or four an hour. Right. So I think Americans now are going to have to get used to, we are not going to have the level of service that Korea, you know, uh, South America, other places in the world have because we don't have cheap labor anymore. And if that's the way it's going to be, you know what? The same situation is happening in Europe. I mean, Europe. this is where it would be good to point out that the reason we don't have cheap labor is because we don't have cheap housing. We don't have cheap health care. Correct. Right? Like if, yeah. if wages don't keep up with the cost of living in those Absolutely. fundamental categories. So, you know, I just want to say it's not only immigration and it's not it's a whole bunch of problems that are going to be really hard to solve and will impact our competitiveness going forward. If we let two more, two million more people, three million more people into the country a year, which is what I think we need to do, I think we need to let like two or three million people into the country a year to keep up with like what we want as a country. Um, we, we would be able to have, I think, some of these services, but you are absolutely right in certain locations, New York, California, um, yeah, other Most, places, maybe Boston, like, places where housing is absurdly housing expensive. Yeah. yeah. The housing crisis definitely plays into this. Cost right. of living never plays into this. And but, healthcare, actually. I, we're almost downplaying healthcare. The cost of healthcare is like such a massive barrier. Here's the thing. Anyway. In the 80s, yeah. people didn't have healthcare. Entry level employees didn't have it. And entry level employees lived multiple people to a housing unit. And so I'm not making a judgment that that is how the world should be. But that's how the world was in the United States. And that's when we had delivery services. That's when we had some of these things. And that's what happens in other countries. So it's just the way the Ameri- America is going to be. It's going to look like Europe, uh, where you just, you know, there's going to be a lower, the lowest we're going to be able to pay people. I think in this country is going to be $25 an hour, $35 an hour. I think that's where we're ending up. The, the, the whole minimum wage thing is an illusion. Like, I don't think anybody's going to wind up getting paid that if we keep immigration the way it is. Anyway. Hmm. Uh, <laughs> Like there was a lot in there that I'm too tired to unpack. So I'm just going to write it down and come back to it later. <laughs> Listen, I, I just, I, I grew up in the restaurant business. You know, there, you could hire dishwashers who were illegal immigrants, technically. Busboys yeah. were illegal immigrants. Sous I mean, chefs were illegal happening. immigrants. Much less, uh, yeah. much less. It's being cracked down on at a, in a major way. Yeah. Um, it is not the average anymore. You know, the, it's not the standard. So, you know, 
depending on what you believe, you know, I believe in immigration. I think more people should come into this great country. Yeah, I mean, I completely agree. Yeah, exactly. And I don't necessarily believe it just so that people will like bring me stuff. It'll be like we will have a more vibrant economy. Like when you say we're going to end up like Europe because of this, you mean we're just going to be a little bit stagnant or less innovative? I think it could lead that way. Yeah, I think it could lead that way. Um, Only because once you up the standard, Mm -hmm. standards only go up. You're not going to go to people and suddenly say like, you know what? We were paying your $25 an hour. We're going to go down to 15. It just doesn't happen that way. It it, it could. It would take a real crash of the economy for wages to deprecate um, and and benefits to deprecate. It's really hard to do. And if we're going to lock the border down, we're going to have a million and a half people coming in. There's just no chance. There's just no chance to to have that level of work, which means just everybody's got to get used to paying, you know, $18 for a hamburger. Right. The idea of getting, you know, an $8 hamburger and the dishes were cleaned by an illegal immigrant and it was delivered by an illegal immigrant and you got this great deal. That's over, folks. Just pay more. You're going to have to pay more across the board. Now, let's get to Joker. So what that means is instant delivery doesn't work here. Right. The only thing that will work, Molly, as we dipped into on the last all in, is uh, robots. Only way is going to be robots. So the robot dishwasher, there was a dishwasher startup that cleans dishes by robotic. And there is those delivery little mini robots that look like R2-D2 driving burritos to places. That will start this again because those robots will be fine with $5 an hour. Right. Net net cost. Uh, And so you don't need to Im- have immigrants. We're really getting into robots. dirty little secrets about capitalism today, people. Yeah, I mean, it, the reality of like capitalism. Like, you don't want to go too far down that path exactly, but it's the truth. Like, there are certain parts of what of the American lifestyle that cannot be enabled without... Cheap labor. Cheap labor. Cheap uh, labor. You, you want to pay, you know, six bucks for an, I, uh, an iPhone cable? You know, it's, right. it's going to be made in China by so people who don't have all. health benefits. Yeah, Can't have it all. Can't have it all. Okay, so there we are with Joker. It's not going to work here. Joker pivots to Latin America. Let me tell you a quick story. True Fabricant is a launch portfolio founder. It's one of my founders. And his company is called Scout. It's a lead gen platform. But Drew was recently under the gun. He needed a developer with a very specific skill set. And Lemon.io delivered the perfect candidate quickly. And they were a pleasure to work with, according to my pal Drew. So take it from me. Hiring developers is one of the hardest challenges you will have as a founder. We all know that. So Lemon.io is here to help you. And they're here to help you hire better developers faster, just like they helped my boy Drew. They have a network of engineers from Europe and Latin America, and every candidate has been tested and interviewed by their team. They know how to find a great developer, and that's their business. Here's how they will help you. There's no wasting time with unqualified candidates. No. Au contraire, mon frère. Easy access to the best global talent. We're talking about the top 1% here. And they can get you a developer up and running within a week. And of course, it's more affordable. Go to lemon.io slash twist to get 15% off your first four weeks. Lemon.io slash twist to get 15% off your first four weeks. Once again, 15% off for This Week in Startups listeners only at lemon.io slash twist. Now let's talk about liquidation programs. Yes. Um, this is best explained by pulling up a spreadsheet. So we, we just made a quick back of the envelope here. A liquidation preference, uh, most people, and I'll make this super simple for people. Kudos um, to our team, by the way. Shout out to Ashley, Nick, uh, our managing yeah. director, Ashley, our president, Mike, who I think just punted Ashley like we all always do on questions of really complicated math. Okay. Ashley, so, Ashley. Thank you, Ashley, managing director here. 
and lawyers typically handle this. And uh, if I get anything wrong, forgive me, but uh, you can look up liquidation preferences. There, the, the liquidation preference, when I was an entrepreneur, I, I couldn't understand. I had lawyers explain it to me two or three times, and it was like, do I understand this? There's a lot of fancy terms in here. Um, and I'm going to explain it to you just based on why this exists. Because once you understand the why, it becomes easy. Okay. There is a concept called a liquidation preference. A liquidation preference, it represents an investor's um, right to get money back before the proceeds of a sale are distributed. Okay. So let's just do this through an example. The example I'll use here is, you know, a company called <laughs> Uber <laughs> in its mm-hmm. first <laughs> valuation, which was $5 million. Let's say people put a $500,000 investment. Let's say it was one investor, just for simplicity's sake. And that investor owned 10% of the company, right? $5 million. Put in 500, the valuation is 5 million, and they have a 10% ownership. Just keep it very easy peasy model. Mm-hmm. The 500,000 bought 10% of the company. Okay, now, if the it was straight equity, they just owned 10% of the shares, and the company got sold, right? Uh, and, and let's say the exit value was $2.5 million. Well, 10% of 2.5 is 250. Mm-hmm. If it got sold for 5 million, well, then you get your 500,000 back. If you sold for 10 million, wow, you doubled your money. You sold for 50 million, you 10x your money, your 500,000 turned into 5 million. And then, of course, if you hit some huge, you know, $100 million valuation, you get 10 million back. You did 20 times your original investment, right? 10% of 100 million, pretty simply, is 10 million. Mm-hmm. Now, when you look at this, um, in, the first, in the first scenario, a $2.5 million sale, the investor lost half their money. Yep. They only got back 50 cents on the dollar, right? They got 250. Investors Boo. don't like that idea. So investors came up with a provision called the liquidation preference. So that in that scenario, they get a minimum of their money back. And then in the second scenario, they too got the minimum of their money back, but because it was 10%. And that would be considered 1x. Mm-hmm. 1x times your money is the second scenario we're seeing here. I put in 500, 1 times 500,000 equals. 500,000. Welcome back to <laughs> multiplication <laughs> tables in second or third grade. And if I got back a million dollars, well, that's two times, right? So a 1x liquid effort, liquid, liquidation, pre- liquidation preference means you got your money back. But VCs, of course, uh, want to get a return. And so they came up with this liquidation preference, which means they get their one times money back first off the top. They sweep that money they get their original investment back. That's a 1x liquidation preference. Mm-hmm. Then they get their 10%. So now let's look at this based on a liquidation preference. Uh, and this is called uh, non-participating. Uh, there's non-participating and there's participating. I'll just mm-hmm. do this by example. So here we go. We're now on the section in this chart. We'll put a link to this Excel. Uh, here's a return based on a non-participation liquidation preference. What is the different? What, what does participation mean? Okay. Participation uh, means you get your money back times liquidation preference, or you get your percentage return. Okay. Not both. You get one or the other. And that's to protect the downside protection. So here, if you look at the exit value of 2.5 million, if you had a liquidation preference, because sometimes you don't have a liquidation preference, but if you had a liquidation preference, one X is standard. Mm -hmm. So let's take the same scenario. I put in 500K at 5 million, but the company sold for 2.5. So everybody's sad, right? Mm-hmm. People invested at five million. They bought ten percent. The company's only selling for two point five. Well, what that means is, if you had a one point a one percent liquidation preference, you would take five hundred off the top. Or if you had a one point five, you take seven fifty off the top. A two x, you would take a million off the top, right? And you would get that at a minimum. 
or you would get your 10%. So if you had a 1x liquidation preference, would you take 10% of 2.5 molly, 250k, or would you take the 1x, your original investment? Which one would you right. take if My you had to choose? Of course. Of course, you take the bigger number. Now, yeah. if it sells for five, which one will you take? The 10% of 5 million, 10%, or one times your investment, 500,000. Right. Which okay. would you take? Which 500,000 would you take? <laughs> right, totally. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Exactly. Right. So at a $5 million yes, sale, it doesn't matter. Okay, yep. now let's go to the $10 million sale. At a $10 million sale, 10% of 10 million is 1 million. Mm -hmm. 1x is 500,000. Which would you take, Molly? The 10%, right. 1 million, um, or the 500k, 1x liquidation yep. preference? My million, for sure. Uh -huh. You take the 10%, right? So when you do a liquidation preference is non-participating, the liquidation preference or the percentage is your choice, whichever is greater. Okay. So this creates what's called downside protection for an investor. They don't have a chance of losing their money. And if the company were to sell for but $500,000, it was a short sale, as we call in the business. It was a disaster. Mm -hmm. Company gets liquidated. It sells for just 500. What would the investor get who put in 500? All 500. All 500. And what would the founders get? So well. Bupkis. Nothing. The founders and the team would get nothing. So in a so this what's is called just some magical thing that VCs came up with and started writing into contracts that basically means like we know our job is risky, but we decided we don't want it to be risky. <laughs> well, I mean, it could go to zero, and most seventy percent <laughs> right, of startups nice. go to zero, so they do right, lose okay. in seventy percent of cases. What this okay. was for is if out of ten cases, there's one or two, you know, let's say there's six that go to zero, there's two that return a little less than the valuation it was at, some sort yeah. of short sale, um, or and then they have two where they you know, the liquidation preference and the participating preferred doesn't even kick in. You just take your straight percentage. They would do that. Okay. So now to get even more greedy, <laughs> uh <-huh. laughs> you can add both of these things together. And when you add them both together, that's a liquidation preference participating. So here we go. In the case of a $2.5 million exit, if you get your 500 back, right? And mm -hmm. then 10%, you get both of these things. Oh my God. So you get your, you put 500K in at a $5 million valuation. You own 10% of the company. Mm -hmm. But the company sells for 2.5. What a 1x liquidation preference would get you is one times your 500k, your initial investment back, you got the 500k back. Now, you get 10% of whatever's remaining, because now you're going to split the remaining proceeds after you got your 1x back, pari parsu, fancy word for on a percentage basis, everybody gets the same amount based on their ownership of the shares. So you still own 10%. So the, the you get 10% of the 2 million remaining. Mm -hmm which is 200K. So at a 1X, and you look at the chart, you'll see here, we did a little formula, which you'll see uh, there, which basically says one times 500 plus 10% of whatever remains, right? Mm -hmm. So you're taking that uh, total amount minus your initial investment, right? So the 2.5 minus the 500 initial investment, and then times it by 0.1, which is 10% in a, in a Google, sh in a, in a Google sh sheet or an Excel, which means you got 700 of the proceeds. 700 of 2.5 is more than 10, right? Mm-hmm. So this is how sometimes VC uh, founders will get a little sticker shock. Well, I thought you own 10%. It's like, yeah, but I have a liquidation preference. Right. And you do read this, your contract very carefully. Okay. Read uh -huh, your contract. Yeah. Now, if you were to sell the company for a hundred million, right? 700K of 2.5 is approximately uh, 30. Let me do the percentage here. Hold on. Equal sum. The live one here. Equal sum 700 divided by... The 2.5 is 28%. Okay, you see that? Mm -hmm. I just did a formula on the fly there. So in this case, even though the VC bought 10% of the company, in the short sale, they got 28% of the return. Hmm. See that? Yep. 
500K, they got back, and then they got back also 10% of the remaining 2 million. So they did get net net 28%. Um, 700,000 divided by 2.5 million equals 0.28 times about 100, you get 28%. That's how mm-hmm. percentages work, folks. Okay, now let's say it's a $100,000, $100 million sale. Well, they get the 500K back, mm-hmm. right? So now there's $99,500,000 left. And the VC would get their 10% of that 99 million, which means net net, they get 10.5 million. Now, if we do that same calculation, equal sum. We take the 10 million, we divide it by the $100 million sale. It's only 10.5%. Because huh. the 500K represents such a small amount of the overall sale value. Does that make yep. sense? Yep. So in a huge, in a large sale, this liquidation preference is barely noticeable to everybody. It's a little pot sweetener. Instead oh, of getting man. 10 million, they got 10.5 million. So they and got so that's- about 5% extra. Is that why it's sort of, it can be easy to sneak it into a contract? Like it's only a big deal, you know, it's not a big deal. It's basically going to be de minimis if it's it's going to be de minimis. Yes. Mm -hmm. It's going to be de minimis in any kind of decent sale. You know, and we could take, you can literally look at the point at which it becomes de minimis. Like if you look at the third scenario here, a $10 million sale with the VC owning five, 10% and having put 500K in, well, they get back 1.5, which is 15%. So net net of all proceeds in a $10 million sale, you doubled the value of the company. Well, instead of the VC getting 10%, they got 15%. And by the way, they tripled their money. Kind of sucks for a VC. Mm -hmm. It's not a great use of capital to triple your money, to be honest. Like we're we're in it for the 10x, the 20x, the 50x. So okay, this is something that you have some other columns here where our X gets bigger. Our liquidation preferences more than right and so in this case and by the way the reason most people have not talked about this the reason you and your first year of venture capital have not had to deal with this is because in a great market vcs are not asking for this because they think well all these are going to the moon and they're going to ipo and it's going to be the fifth scenario of the five scenarios here it's not going to be important for anybody so if if it's not important why would we do it Mm -hmm. in a down market like we're experiencing now what does everybody think about <laughs> going to zero or they get zero maybe they get down zero, no, you, know sales. Yeah. You, you literally hit the bullseye literally zero. literally okay people are scared of zeros people are wor- are working from the premise of how do i protect my downside how mm-hmm. do i take as many of those zeros and turn them into one x's so that when i have my 100 million dollar fund if if 20 million of my 100 million just comes back it sets a floor right mm-hmm and then I don't have to have as many outliers. So, so this is all of a sudden how the psychology in a market can change. Hmm. The yeah. psychology went from NFTs, stocks, and private companies only go up to crypto is worthless and it never was worth anything. Stocks <laughs> you know, uh, should be valued at 15 or 18 times EBITDA. And all that matters is the free cash flow. Mm-hmm. We went from like growth to free cash flow. And then in startups, we're looking at how do I protect my downside? And you know what? This is what people in Boston and New York and DC, like VCs on the East Coast, who are very close to the public markets uh, than they are the you know crazy California private market philosophy, they would always think about these downside protections and try to put in 2x liquidation preferences. So for a company like Joker, when they can't close around, the VCs are like, you know what? Put 100 million in this thing and the public markets are you know a disaster right now. 
Yeah. And this company doesn't have free cash flow and is burning money and only works in certain markets and doesn't work in the best market in the world, the United States. We better put some downside protection in here. So they may have and asked so, for a 2x liquidation preference. The founders balked at it. They didn't want to piss off the founders. So they said, how about 1.4? Right. And we don't know. We should be clear. So now, for those of you who are watching, uh, Ashley was nice enough to make us this same chart, but with Joker's actual numbers. And we should clarify before we start that we don't know if this is participating or non-participating. Yeah, we only know just, that they appear to have, but we can yeah. do it both ways and see how it would turn yeah, out. Yeah, I mean, we can just do this with the participating liquidation preference of 1.5. Right. So here we go. In that, when you have 1.5, right, or even 2, in a yeah. 1.5 scenario, and the company gets sold for half as much, let's say 2.5 million, um, well, you're going to get back 1.5 times your original investment. Original investment of 500000 becomes $750,000. So now of the 2.5, you lop off 750K, you have 1.75 left, you own 10% of 1.75, you get another 175K on top of that, boom, 925K goes to uh, those VCs. And again, I'll just do a quick percentage there. Uh, I'm going to sum 925, and I'm going to divide it by 2.5. Now the VC has got 37% of the company's proceeds in that sale. It felt like they bought 10%. But they got 3.7 times that, 37%. Mm -hmm. Now you start seeing how these things can get legit. Um, now let's do the, you know, the great scenario. It sells for 100 million. Okay, so we'll say, okay, we're going to equal sum, you know, this number over here, which is uh, 10,750. And we're going to divide it by the 100 million number. No problem. Easy peasy. Now you're at 10.75, right? So you can see how in a big exit, it has no effect. Right. You know, it's just a little pot sweetener. The, the, uh, the the folks at the venture firm got somewhere between you know an extra I don't know well they got an extra twenty seven percent in the in the short sale and they got an extra seven point five percent. Well, and you're so, on the seed example, so down at the bottom, click on the Joker example tab. Oh, is there a actually ran? Yeah, she actually oh, we did. ran okay, the so numbers. Great. I didn't realize we did that. Okay, here we on go. Joker sure. specifically, yeah, to Perfect. see what will happen. So let's say 50 million on a 1.3 million dollar valuation, 4% ownership. Let's say the company exits at 1.3, right? And we'll go down to billion. the 1.3 yeah, exactly, 1.3 billion. So here we go. At 1.3 billion, at a 1.5 million dollar, a 1.5 liquidation preference, they get 100 and they get 50% 1.5 times 50 million, which is 75 million. Right off the top. So then right. there's 1.225 left of which they get, you know, their percentage ownership in. And so they get 197.5 million, which would be Assuming four times their original doing investment. The participating thing. Yep. Uh -huh. If they're doing the participating thing. And I'll just do the percentage here. So if we equal sum that, um, then we're going to divide 197 by 1.3. They wound up with 15%. Now, 50%, if I were to put 50 million here and I did equal some 50 million divided by the exit value of 1.3. Oh, is that in dollar? Change that. Somebody's listening. Can you change that to percentage for me? Change that to percentage. Ashley, can you change cell D20? Oh, there. They got 3.85%. You see that? Mm -hmm. yeah. How crazy that is? So they literally are getting like four or five times. So the bigger the capital investment, the number, 50 million is a big number. Mm -hmm. the more painful this can be. And in fact, oh my Lord, <laughs> you know, you, you start to get to a uh, $30 billion exit, you know, 
um, it, it's not as high of a percentage. So you can feel a little bit better at it. But yeah, when, with big right. numbers, this can be. So the bigger big num the number, the more important it is to have a liquidation preference. And the, it seems to me the more likely that VCs are going to negotiate hard for a participating preference. They're not going to want to take yeah. the 75 million, for example, that they would get if they put in 50 million at a 1.4 to 5%. I mean, if we look at yeah. this, you know, with a, with a great exit, let's say Joker were able to get to it, and this is not going to happen. Sorry, it's not going to get to thirty billion. It could get to thirteen billion. I could see a ten xing. I don't see a twenty xing, but it did. I mean, who knows? Anything can happen. Uh, markets can become irrational again, or it could be, or maybe they figure something out and they become the standard, and it becomes Robots. a total phenomenon. Yeah, hmm. they could get three billion dollars back on that fifty million dollar investment, right? Because they own four percent, four percent of three billion. Um, and then they get that crazy liquidation preference. So, you know, it, it can be, um, a, it can be very significant. And the people who are putting in big numbers are mm -hmm. taking a lot more risk. A VC putting in 500K is different than some giant mega fund putting in $50 million chip. And they have other options for that 50 million. They could be putting it into a dividend company that pays them 4% and a company that has paid 4% for the last 30 years. And they have other options for big numbers like that, right? They yeah. could buy a building that throws off cash flow and apartments like, you know, Adam Newman is doing. Rivka, no mm -hmm. joke. We buy apartment buildings, okay? We're going to buy Amazing. And hopefully uh, you are followed. If you, I know, seriously, I love that this is like the kind of thing that Jason's like, I could do that at 50%. I'm good. Let's go. Um, however, that is in fact the most I have ever understood that. And hopefully uh, those of you who just listened to it, I encourage you to go watch, watch the video because it's not watch. like the sexiest graphics, but Excel does the work. Excel tells you the story. Should we do one more story? Maybe this uh, Elizabeth see. Holmes one? Here's the dish. Elizabeth Holmes is now asking for a new trial, claiming that a key witness and former Theranos lab director, as in a key witness against her, showed up at her home saying that his testimony was twisted by prosecutors. In a court filing, Holmes's counsel claims that Adam Rosendorf visited her after the verdict and was upset over his testimony last fall, coming to her house, basically being like, I was misquoted or, you know, they tricked me what? into saying bad things about you. Yes. Wait, I mean, this lady, did you say the witness went to Elizabeth Holmes's house and knocked on the house. door? Um, no, I'm no, super sorry. That's too crazy. I'm super sorry. I did not. I would never do you like that, Elizabeth. Like they totally take, took my words out of context and they twisted my testimony. And it was all. Uh, it was all a lie. So the, t the court filing comes after the judge last week preliminarily rejected the attempt by Holmes's lawyers to throw her fraud conviction out. They told this uh, version of events that highlighted the startup's accomplishments in that filing. The lawyers talked about its 15-year history, including regulatory approval, its partnerships with Walgreens and Safeway. Like, basically, they made this filing that was like, no, 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 you ignored all the years that Theranos was legit before it became clear that it wasn't going to work. And so they did the fraud to try to cover that up. But then there's this visit, this bonkers like meeting where Dr. Adam Rosendorf. Yeah. yeah. He basically jumped the fence. It this guy like has gone a wall. He's okay. He's a Show medical doctor who testified Talk as a government partner. Yeah. He testified yeah. at the fraud trial. That he quit the blood testing startup and discuss and went up to serve as lab director at Ubiome, which collapsed as well. Uh, <laughs> if you remember right, Ubiome. That did. Uh huh. Yeah. So, uh, 
So he think, says, all so he due respect up, to Dr. Rosendorf, but this guy doesn't seem the most credible to begin with. I mean, I killed two startups. <laughs> I don't know if it's his fault or not. But. Exactly. Well, uh, unless, listen, clearly third time, I hope is a charm. Do not hire this dude. <laughs> clearly he's having folks. a tough time. He said his concerns were weighing on him to the point where he had difficulty sleeping. So he shows up, he talks to her partner. Uh, yeah. You, rem- you oh. remember she got this new partner, William Evans, that she has a baby with. And he apparently- her baby daddy? Her baby daddy. And apparently, Dr. Rosendorf says to baby daddy, I tried to answer the questions honestly at the trial, but the government tried to make everything look bad. Two, point two, there's a little list of eight things. The government made things seem worse than they were. He said, three, everyone at Theranos was working hard to do something good and meaningful. Four, Dr. Rosendorf felt he had done something wrong, apparently in connection with Ms. Holmes's trial. He wanted to talk to her, Ms. Holmes. He thought a conversation would be healing for both of them. Oh, jeez. He further said both she and he were young at the time of the event, and these concerns are weighing on him to the point where he is having difficulty sleeping. Then he wandered away, uh, attempted to leave the property, and was driving the wrong way. While oh, he, okay, attempting so he's pro- to leave, right. listen, like he's like falling apart. Shows up at her house, is like I I made a terrible mistake and they made me look bad and I'm really sorry and I really like you. Actually, yeah. I know what happened here. It's amazing. I actually ran into Doctor Rosendorf on the playa. <laughs> he was on his way to Burning Man. <laughs> he got started early. Yeah. He had a little emotional thing, and then I was I saw the sunrise with him. You know, at uh, uh you know at the uh, temple, and we both mourned. Uh, I mean, he's having regret. Come on, dude. Like this man is having terrible regret and guilt. And that does not throw out a fraud conviction. Like, I'm sorry, but as a legal matter, I didn't think my words, I didn't think my true story under oath about how the company went would be perceived as a bad thing is not you. She is not getting a new trial. I mean, if he drove the wrong, if he drove the wrong, wrong way and did something absolutely. Let's be, let's be real here. We're not lawyers. We're not detectives. No, but you know. I have seen every Columbo episode twice. I do know this. We know this. It's one more thing there, ma'am. He called you and he didn't <laughs> seem like he was okay. And his state of mind was, you know, the word you used was questionable. Mm-hmm. And then he, he showed up at your door 15 hours later and then drove down the street the wrong way. Was this person on any, um, perhaps some prescription medicine or uh, combined it with a cocktail? And that's what Columbo would think. I'm not saying I think that. But he Columbo was in distress. His voice was trembling, according to the filing. The, the dude. All right. Columbo. He had his phone open work. to the camera, but he wasn't recording. He He's wanted to record. He's okay. having a nervous breakdown. You know, my wife, she says, when I have a second old fashioned, I too <laughs> sometimes <laughs> ask questions and have emotional responses. <laughs> That's why I always keep it to one. Slow gin face. This kid the, this, was lit. Honestly, he was lit. What, that's what Columbo would say. He might have been um, lit, but also I think he's falling apart. And to me, it's just, frankly, more collateral damage that she has done. Right? Like, this is, the, now yeah. this guy is yeah. having a breakdown because yeah. he had to testify to the true events at this company. In and the truth, and the whole entire truth led to her being convicted. And then now he's like, oh my God, I got her convicted. She has a baby. We all followed her. It was a cult. And he's having, like, a breakdown over it. And that's on her and Sonny. I'm being a little harsh here because most people in their lives do not get put in situations like this. Yeah. Situations like this yep. are incredibly intense for a human being to go through. Mm-hmm. To be brought into a federal 
the highest profile entrepreneurial lawsuit since Bernie Madoff and Enron. There, this is like getting pulled into, you know, a horrible, horrible turn of events, having your whole career defined for it. Then you go to U-Biome. That's another train wreck. Mm-hmm. I can understand the amount of pressure that this puts on a normal person. This is not the CEO of a company yeah. who opted in to having this amount of intensity, Molly. Yeah. This is a person who's probably a very kind doctor who cared about people and wanted people to be healthier. Mm-hmm. And then he gets pulled into somebody he believed in is now going to spend their life or some significant portion of their life in jail. Yeah. And he put his whole being into this person's vision, yeah. which creates cognitive dissonance. Oh, my daddy didn't love me. My mommy didn't love me, but I love my mommy and daddy. That's what happens here to people. It's called cognitive dissonance. They have to reconcile. Are my mommy and daddy horrible human beings? And they don't love me? Or are they misunderstood and they do love me? Mm -hmm. This is the classic case of a child having to deal with the fact that their mommy or daddy is a monster. Elizabeth Holmes is a fucking monster. Sorry to curse. She did all of this deliberately. She did this for her own financial gain. She did all of this for her own selfishness and her own narcissism. She wanted to be Steve Jobs. She wanted to be important so much that she, as a classic narcissist, this is my interpretation of events mm-hmm. and also probably the courts mm-hmm. and the juries. <laughs> yep. They yep. looked at this and said, this insane narcissist risked people's lives, not only for financial gain, because she had plenty of the financial gain. She came from a rich family. She did it for her own ego. The worst of all possible scenarios. This person cared about their own fame, perhaps fortune, and importance in the world more than another human being's basic health care and right to live. The woman is a monster, a monster. And she should have the book thrown at her. But if you work for her, she's Molly. Still destroying this guy's life. Well, I mean, that I, I think is. I blame her for this poor guy having this Honestly, meltdown. best point of the segment goes to Molly Wood. You can give it's your terrible. speech now. It's a terrible story. And the best insight for this <laughs> segment goes to, <laughs> going to rip the envelope open. Oh, I didn't expect this at all. Let me get my five-page speech out. Ripping the, <laughs> give your acceptance speech for best point. This is the best point. More collateral damage. This person is going to be in therapy for the rest of their life. Every conversation they have is going to start with your time at Theranos and be backed up only by the train wreck of you biome. This poor mm-hmm. guy. I know. Sorry, I don't mean to curse twice. Sorry to Nick. I got to stop cursing. It's too much editing. Okay. And John. Thank you, John. John. Sorry, John. Somebody send John um, uh, some liquid IV so we can get through this episode. Anyway, I'm just saying we we do appear to be, in addition to all of that, maybe there's a sequel to The Dropout coming. Please, please. Maybe the story is, although, again, not, I am not a lawyer. I would be astonished. If somehow this would rise to the level of a new trial, this is not that right. I mean, the guy made his testimony. His testimony was everyone was under tremendous pressure, working so hard to do something good and meaningful. There was a lot of pressure to show that it worked, et cetera, et cetera. All of that is true. And ah, look, boom. You know how I've been talking about what a disaster nest is. Yeah, and I've been seeing Sundar. Yeah, oh, pretty good to have five hundred thousand followers. Hello, Jason. 
beep from the Nets team. We've noted you've had some challenges recently and wanted to see if you'd be open to chatting about what's happening. We'd really like to hop out. So please let me know if you're open to chatting. Thanks. Head of communication, Google beep at Google beep. I don't want to say the person's name. I don't want to be good. No, don't. But I think maybe Sundar is like, please, somebody go help Jake out. Oh, wait, somebody's at the house. Oh, hi, Google. Oh, wait. Sundar's here. All right, everybody. What an amazing show. Molly, what else is on deck for the week? We have got some energy. It's 100 degrees in the Bay Area. The show's got some heat-induced, lack-of-sleep, post-Burning Man energy. And we're just leaning in. I listened to your interview on Sunday with the Algae Company. We had a great discussion about this. I, yes. I, I was driving back from Burning Man, and I decided on my five-hour drive, my wife was asleep. Yeah. I listened to a couple podcasts. I was like, let me listen to Sunday and really just start thinking about our own performance. Leave us in the show, Nick, on the outro. Um, you did a great interview. And your interview was distinctly different than NPR Molly, more a public radio Molly. You had a battery of questions for the algae CEO that were very investor design questions. And I was so impressed with your level up on your interview skills here six months in. I mean, you've always been a great interview. That's never been a question. Like, Literally top 10. But they were like journalism interviews and not investor interviews. It's happening. I'm not criticizing any journalists, but they don't. You were like, hey, how much you're charging? Who are your customers? The sharpness of your blade was noticeable. Instead of having a one sided blade, it had a two sided blade. You were, you were cutting like a proper journalist cuts and, uh, you know, the audience could clearly understand the business or understand the product and business. But then you flip the sword and you were using that investor side of your sword and you were asking very specific things about who the customer was, the regulations, basically the questions we would have to get through in order to make an investment or any investor would. And that's what makes this program so much better than just, you know, journalists interviewing people. It's no offense to yeah. journalists. We were both no. journalists before we were journalists slash investors. We have a specific mandate and audience and focus. And ah, oh, that's so great. It's working. Oh, well, and I also Seeping thought in. our ESG discussion was was a really productive discussion in the middle. I, yeah. I might have. Yeah, I. I, I think what it would be, I've never had a coach on our stuff, but I would like if there was somebody who was a good coach of broadcasters and broadcasting teams. I don't know if that exists in the world, but if they could listen to our discussion on Sunday and say, here are a couple of pointers where you each could have passed the ball crisp or whatever, but I don't know if that exists. And we're already like, you know, a top podcast. So I, maybe Man, I'm overthinking you, it. People call me to do that now. <laughs> I know, but I mean, after what, this many what, years of co-hosting, but that's the degree to which it doesn't exist. It's basically just like, mm, who knows how somebody, to do that? There must be Molly? somebody out there who would look at Steph Curry's shot in year eight or nine and Clay Thompson and be able to say, if we're Draymond and Steph, like the two of yeah. us, somebody could come and say, just great, 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 great. You know, hey, you forgot this on this point, or you, you, I mean, you could have asked a follow up to Molly or Jake, or we yeah. could just do it. The two of us could just sit and do a post game session with the team with with Nick and Rachel and John. Like, it's actually it's good that we would do it. Sometimes we would listen to shows back and call it just a postmortem and you listen back and you do like mm. a little like this could have been a little. Yeah, I mean, maybe our team, even though they don't have the experience of having done it, they do have the experience of being an audience. Yeah, and exactly. understand. So they might. But I don't know if they could be honest with us. They might feel a little intimidated to tell true. us. True. We'd have to give them a lot of leeway there. But I, if, if somebody knows of somebody who could listen to a Molly J. Cal interaction there and say, hey, Steph, Draymond, here's how you could set an even better screen. You know, like, <laughs> I know you won the championship, but here's how you win the, you know, the fifth, sixth, seventh yeah. one. Exactly. We're open to it. Producers at this week's program. I'll be in LA for the final code conference with Kara Swisher hosting the poking or poker game that does not exist. I can say now that I'm hosting the poker game that doesn't exist because it's the last one ever. 
We've been doing this barber game for 15 Aww. years at the D conference and co-commerce, but I it's going so away. I she suspect- invited me to do it, but I have to, I have a thing. You have, you well, g- give a shout out to that. I, I saw that. I am. Yeah. I'm actually pretty excited about this. I'm being interviewed at the Commonwealth club about the shift to climate investor. Yeah. It's a, it's a bit, you know, Commonwealth club. It's like a thing whatever. Um, and it will be, it's as part of their climate one program. So it'll be distributed to hundred or something public radio stations also, but talking about capitalism saving. Uh, Who's doing world? the interview? The host of the Climate One podcast. Is oh, great. Me. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. And there's, is there anybody else or is it solo dolo with you? It's just me. Wow. It's just, it's just, it's just me. It's like an wow. actual like a spotlight. I know it's kind of a thing, but I really oh, wanted cool. to come to code and it was the only time I'm ever going to get it to anyway. It's like a Sorry. God doesn't get with both hands, you know? Anyway, well, listen, we're dividing and conquering. Uh, also, I, I had a talk with Brad Gerson, my bestie BG. Um, he's going to, ha- he wants to have a private event on September 15th and interview the two of us about storytelling on podcasts. Are you available on September 15th tonight? Absolutely. Okay, great. Yeah. So, uh, Brad, I, I told Brad, I follow up. Uh, so there it is, Brad, you're <laughs> listening to the pod. We're doing it. Uh, we're, we're on in. for September 15th. He, he wants to interview us on storytelling, podcasting and, and media. Cause great. it's like, well, you guys represent media, podcasting and investing the dream guests I've been wanting to talk about this. So we'll, uh, but that's a private thing. I think it's going to be just like, that's somebody's house kind of situation. Love it. All right, everybody. We'll see you okay. tomorrow, Wednesday. I'll be in a hotel in LA uh, and recovering from a late night poker game. After I'll be in a hotel three days in San Francisco, recovering from. Is <laughs> 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 on the road week? I love this. We're, we're hey, we're mobile, folks. We're mobile. We're mobile. We we're, can, we're on we the can move. work from anywhere. On the move. All right. See you tomorrow. <laughs>